my name is Bill Marsh. I live in Philadelphia, PA, where I've lived for, for over 30 years now. And uh, at the moment, I'm a graphics editor at the New York Times. As a kid, I was very captivated by my dad's extensive collection of AAA maps, which we had for family road trips all over the country. And uh, the typography, uh, the design, as well as a wanderlust that would not be satisfied for years and years. You know, it was just, I wanted to travel. And there's something about maps that um, can place you there in a way, um, even if you're far away. And so those maps, which I still have, by the way, I, I really enjoyed looking at. It made the trip more interesting to me because you could see what was down the road. It's why I stubbornly, when I take my own car trips now, I use paper maps because um, I just, a phone screen sized view of the next quarter mile is just not useful or satisfying. Um, and I love to see where I am in relationship to uh, the eventual destination. Uh, it's fine paper maps so satisfying. And I'm gratified that that having produced one, uh, it's actually sold not, you know, pretty well. Um, it is not uh, a bestseller by any means, but thousands of copies are out there. So there is still an appetite for paper maps. Your map, it's a real tool, which is really hard to make. Do you still get print runs of it done? It's been through about five maybe editions and I've extensively we rework them and update them every time and i got the brilliant idea back in 2018 or so to add uh and put on the map a lot of my favorite restaurants about 75 of them and then the pandemic hit and about about a third or more of them have no longer exist so they were sort of instantly obsolete but the bulk of the map of course is is still good for people to use. Um, and I was very, very excited the other day when a friend of mine texted a picture of someone using it in the wild, a woman sitting in a coffee shop, um, <laughs> looking at my map, trying to figure out where to go um, or whatever she was doing. Um, so I, I hope to, now that things have settled down and uh, uh, I hope to find the time to update it, rework it extensively again, get a bunch of new restaurants in, add all the new buildings, et cetera, et cetera. That's a goal for the next, I would say the next year. That's a pleasure very few cartographers have had, seeing someone spread their map out on a tabletop and pour over it. It's happened a couple of times, and I'm especially gratified to see it, people using it on the street. Um, I, I, I can't claim to have invented this, but as a avid map user, I was very, very frustrated by uh, like duvet sized maps that have the most complex folding systems. And, um, but I had some specimens that were this very simple accordion fold, which you can uh, open part way, and it's never a mystery as to how to fold it. And so even though my map is pretty big, it's almost two feet wide, uh, I am uh, actually, correction, it's more than two feet wide. 
it's almost three feet wide. Uh, I wanted it to be easy to fold above all else and easy to use uh, on foot. Uh, so it, it is exciting to see very occasionally <laughs> someone using it. Where can people buy it today? Like, is it for sale in museum gift shops or? Well, you, you guessed right. It, there's actually uh, uh, only one venue at the moment because I'm a terrible marketer. And that is the Philadelphia Museum of Art. So they have it in their shops. They've been a source of very steady purchases, you know, several thousand. And uh, um, they love it. People, people buy it there at the stores and online. Um, and at one point they had it unfolded and on display in the window of one of their, their bigger museum stores there. And I, so I occasionally boast that I've been exhibited at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, uh, which is a bit of a white lie, but hey, got to take whatever notoriety we can. <laughs> Before that map, had you mostly made editorial maps or had you taken a swing at a kind of comprehensive map like that? Uh, weirdly, I had, um, I have a hand-drawn, partially finished version of my hometown in the, in the 1930s. Um, one would ask why. Growing up there, I had began to read about what it was like uh, before I was born and before a sweeping urban renewal plan just bulldozed half of the, the old city, uh, which is a real tragedy. And I became kind of obsessed with what uh, the town used to look like and everything that disappeared. And I just felt like documenting it. And so uh, this is prior to uh, computer graphics, the Mac. And uh, so it was a extremely painstaking um, trial run for the real map that I published. Um, but I did learn a bit about perspective and how to, to do uh, this kind of map. And um, it led nowhere. The drawings are just in a portfolio and have not been seen by anybody but me uh, almost ever. But um, yeah, so I did that and I liked to draw maps as a kid. Um, I got a job at my hometown paper um, and it was a perfect time to, to start in this profession because it really was embryonic graphics and maps for newspapers. They didn't have anyone doing it except a guy who mostly did cartoons and would occasionally draw a hand inked and, and drawn map. And uh, I sort of boldly offered to do maps for them as a, as a teenager. I was a teen writer on staff. And uh, editor said he'd think about it. And a day or two later, he came back to me and said, yeah, well, why don't you give it a try? And we'd like our maps to look like this. And he handed me a bunch of clippings from the Chicago Tribune, which had actual typeset labels and, and highways that were drawn with tape or at the very least, you know, a, a straight edge. And... Um, but they also had in the newsroom, a, in addition to the Tribune, a subscription to the New York Times. And I had been admiring their maps. So I just decided, all right, the maps in the Grand Rapids Press 
are going to look like the ones in the New York Times. Little knowing that I would wind up working there decades later. Um, so I have been uh, playing with maps and uh, appreciating the style of the New York Times uh, for a very long time. The Grand Rapids Press, you said? Was the first? Yep. And what did your maps concern? Um, you know, what, what we call in, in newspapers locator maps, that was the first thing, just here's where the site of some news event. But they gradually got more involved because the editors were thrilled to have these, what looked to them like professional maps. Now we might find them quite primitive. No, we would find them primitive. Um, but one of the pleasures of my job, and actually doing this Philadelphia map, is uh, getting to do things because you just want to see them yourself. I wanted to see a map like that of Philadelphia. I've very few examples of that type of map anywhere in the U.S. And um, in the case of uh, my early days at the press, um, one of the things I wanted to see because it was a very uh, big topic in those days of the nuclear freeze movement was what would happen if a bomb was dropped on this city? And so I uh, did this sort of aerial map in 3D perspective of the, the metropolitan area with concentric circles around showing the level of damage uh, from uh, a central point uh, of a theoretical nuclear explosion. Um, not exactly a fun topic, but it was fascinating to do and it got a lot of local <laughs> attention. I just wanted to see what that would look like. Um, and throughout my career, I've just, some of the stuff that has been my favorite, uh, my favorite projects were things that I just wanted to see conjured up out of my own need to see them and no one else to my knowledge had done it. So I did it. You were, you were 19 and you created a map of what would a 500 kiloton air burst over Grand Rapids look like. Yes, with, um, it, had, it had primitive, we had spot colors in those days. So it was two color uh, page uh, in addition to black. Uh, I had orange ink that day. I think those things were dictated by advertising as I remember. So there was going to be orange ink in that section that day. So there were orange concentric rings and some type and whatnot. I, I have the clip somewhere. I'm now, uh, I'm going to look at it for the first time in 40 years. Uh, but yes, you know, what happens to Grand Rapids? An early project. Did you hand letter these maps? No, they were typeset. Um, in those days, uh, you would just code up all this type. It would come out in, in sheets uh, from a, some sort of machine, I forget what we called it, on a kind of um, you know, plastic coated um, paper. And then we all had a collection of X-Acto knives and we would cut them up these pieces of type, some quite small. It was a real art to make sure everything was straight, didn't look crooked. And uh, the type was run, the, the big sheets of all these yet to be cut up pieces of type were run through a waxer, a machine with hot wax. 
And so that was the adhesive that that made these things stick to your kind of hand-assembled maps. And there were rolls of little solid and dotted and double-lined uh, rules of various thicknesses that you would use to depict highways and put a frame around it and so on and so forth. Very artisanal. Um, and uh, a lot more improvisational in terms of accuracy, in terms of, um, you know, really great graphic precision, but they were precise and could get quite elaborate. Not least because you had to pay attention to everything you added. Modern cartography is about subtraction. And, you know, before 1980, it was about, okay, I start with my blank slate, what do I add? Well, that's, that's a very good point. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that is absolutely true. I mean, you're starting out with a blank piece of cardboard and, uh, uh, it was, it was fun. It was a great time to start. Um, I had no training in maps. But newspapers are a fabulous classroom for editing, for writing, for uh, uh, news judgment, uh, obviously, and for graphic design. It's a graphic visual 2D product and uh, there's whole armies of people whose job is to make it look appealing. Photography, layout, design, and of course graphics. So you had to draw it, composite it, stick the type on with the wax, and then uh, it would be photographed and turned into separations. Exactly. And a, a further wrinkle is that the machine at most papers, including the press, the, there was a, what they called a composing room, and these were the men, always men, who um, assembled the paper in, prior to my time in hot metal type. Um, uh, but I was there for the early days of, of computer-generated type. And I learned the hard way as a pup. I just waltzed into the composing room and grabbed the type. But, oh no, uh, that is only the purview of the uh, composing room guys. And uh, I got in uh, <laughs> momentary big, big trouble for even touching the type. One of them had to hand it to me. And... Um, so even though I was seen as uh, like this, who is this interloper? What is this kid doing in here? Um, it wasn't too long before we were all friends and had a lot of fun. And I've always loved the, the composing room crowds and the newspapers I've worked for. All gone now. That's every newsroom story. You cross, you cross an old guy and maybe you'll be friends soon. Yeah, I am that old guy now. Um, at least... The way we work now is so much better for the journalism and for the artistic uh, output and the graphic quality. I mean, it's just immeasurably better, um, which I don't need to tell you. You're steeped in it. Is the work just so much faster now? It is faster in a lot of respects. Um, you were doing a complex map, let's say, of the state of Michigan. I mean, where is the outline of that state? which, fun fact, has more shoreline than Florida or the West Coast. Um, 
or I'm sorry, either seaboard, actually, I think it, it is the state with the most shoreline. So how are you going to get that on paper? Well, you're going to trace it with a rapidograph ink pen, hope that it doesn't clog. Um, if it does, you got to have another one with the same size nib uh, at the ready. Um, and once you have the hand-drawn aspect of it done, um, the thing that can't be done with little rolls of tape and and uh, uh, other sort of ready-made uh, pieces that we had in those days. Then you've, then you've got to assemble all the type and figure out what size it's going to be. And if I'm going to make this uh, at, say, five inches wide, but it's going to shrink down to two columns, I might draw it large so that I can get the detail because shrinking it down makes it look sharper but it, you got to have a feel for uh, how not to shrink it down too much because then the line will be too fine for the presses and some of it will disappear. So there was a lot of thought that went into it. Now, you know, that stuff is all drawn and ready to go. And everybody knows what reproduces well in terms of line weights, in terms of tints, in terms of ink densities. So, yeah, we have a giant head start uh, over, over what we had in those days. And that's why there are way more graphics being done. So you just, you can really produce them uh, very, very quickly. Um, you know, tons of fine tuning goes into them and composition, and especially when, you're, when you are starting from scratch. But, but we really do have a leg up on things compared to uh, responding to news. You just couldn't do it in those days beyond very, very simple things. Did you commonly work larger and then reduce? Yes. Yeah. I always ask that because that's, I remember looking at old airbrush reliefs and thinking, man, how did they do those? And then I saw a picture of someone in front of a four foot board, like, oh, that's why <laughs> you have to work at scale and then uh, shrink it. It has, it works well, but as I say, it has some risks. Now, uh, I would be, um, remiss if I didn't mention that my Philadelphia map was inspired by a crazy hand-drawn map that was done of Midtown Manhattan in the 70s and early 80s uh, by a guy named Constantine Anderson. And I have tried, of course, he was in the pre-social media days. So he has a, for, for a guy who made such an immense graphic uh, uh, contribution He's almost unknown, and it's very hard to find any information about him online. And I do think I, I remember reading once that actually the map was drawn um, close to the size it was reproduced, which is just um, mind-boggling to think about. Um, it's something I'd like to learn more about if there's any way. And I, one of my lifelong quests is actually track down these, these drawings and see them in. Uh, in real life i've seen that map so he worked at that scale like at that extremely fine well he worked at an extremely fine scale whether it was actually shrunk at all from um i have to fact check myself on this this is a dim memory every so often i try to try to go down a constantine anderson rabbit hole there simply aren't any um but i did read somewhere true or not um uh, uh, I can't say with certainty 
that he did draw it at, a, at, a, at or near the size it was reproduced, which is, is mind-boggling. Now, if you look at it closely with a loop, you do see it is ink. You know, it doesn't have the kind of razor-sharp corners that an Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator-produced graphic would have. So it, it may well be true. The man, the man was uh, a phenomenal draftsman, to say the least, if, no, no, no matter what size it was drawn at. Have you ever seen the Herman Bowman map of the same area? Oh, yes. In fact, I have several copies. And as I've traveled abroad, um, if whenever I see maps of this sort available, I snap them up. So I have an extensive collection of Bowman that I bought, you know, in Germany. Some one-off maps of like a very beautiful map of Vienna that was done in the 80s or 90s. Uh, there are some folks in Japan who have done similar things. But yes, the, uh, you ask about that map, but you've seen them both, obviously. Yeah, and uh, the Tadashi Ishihara one, too. I got obsessed with them, looking at their depictions of the same building. Yeah, and Anderson in particular made uh, decisions about how to edit out architectural detail because his drawings look freakishly uh, accurate and everything is in proportion. But if you count the number of floors on these buildings, and yes, I have done that, uh, uh, perhaps you have, uh, it, they're not even close to the actual, um, the, the reality of the buildings, whereas Bowman and others were more literal in that respect. But Bowman's has a kind of a, quite a, a pronounced vertical exaggeration. And I kind of prefer the Anderson uh, myself, although uh, I have bottomless admiration for anybody who tackles a map like that. And I don't know if you know this, but um, after he died shortly after the map was published and it was taken over by some entity and eventually wound up in the lap of Rand McNally that published a version of it that's really pretty awful. I mean, they did ruin it. And I've often wondered if Rand McNally uh, still has those drawings. Where are they? Where do they sit? What, you know, who's, are they in archival quality uh, surroundings? I sure hope so. Did they do a terrible reproduction or shrink it or? You know, being Midtown, uh, it had tons of new buildings to be added and they were, you know, they, they did so in a really coarse way. So you, it's uh, <laughs> obvious what was shoehorned in and, and you can almost see the, the uh, kind of where the, the drawings were literally cut and pasted in. And then they gave it some color scheme that is uh, just a rainbow of pastels that is really distracting and quite ugly. Um, I have them all. And uh, if you want to see any of them, I'll, I'll send you some uh, snapshots. They vandalized him was vandalism. I mean, I had a reverence for this thing from the moment I saw it. So I'm very unhappy. Ram McNally, if you're listening right now, please make amends. I mean, it is a fool's errand to do something like this and keep it up to date. You know, it just, it can't be done. It's, it's obsolete instantly. Somebody's knocks down a building, builds a building, you know, so on and so forth. But, um, but it is fun doing it. That's the, the cartographer's greatest weapon, current as of date. Yes, must hire us to 
keep it up to date. Can you give me uh, an end-to-end process for the Philadelphia map? The starting point is, how can I make a map like Anderson's? And what I learned from looking at it, and to a minor extent reading about it in those days, was that he employed some visual tricks that seem obvious in the telling, but weren't obvious to me at the time. I had a city planning base map of Philadelphia, just the streets and the sidewalks were depicted. So I had the city drawn in correct proportion, all the streets and all the little alleyways that make Philadelphia quite an interesting city. Um, And the building footprints, they were drawn in outlines. However, Philadelphia has colonial era narrow streets. And if you are drawing a 3D buildings, especially tall ones, and they don't even have to be very tall. Right away, they're obscuring the street and much of what is across the street from them. And Anderson um, had the uh, uh, idea to exaggerate the widths of the streets in Manhattan, even though they're quite a lot wider there. they needed to be wider still in his depiction in order to not have them all be blotted out by these many dozens of skyscrapers. So um, I figured out ways to do that in my own primitive early Adobe Illustrator version and then just scanned in portions of this city planning footprint map often just measured things by hand. I had to decide what angle I wanted uh, to look at the city from. Um, It's 38 degrees off the grid, um, which looked sort of natural. One facade was a little more, uh, a little wider than the others. So it didn't look too contrived as, as opposed to looking at it um, at a uh, 90 degree angle, um, where everything is sort of equal. Um, and then just painstakingly drew each building sometimes multiple times because the proportions didn't seem right. That was all eyeballed. There was very little except the footprints, um, to be precise about and, um, did it in sections, uh, of maybe a dozen blocks each, gradually stitched them together um, in a somewhat haphazard way. If I were starting from scratch, it'd be all kinds of sophisticated use of layers and and uh, a real uh, thought to how um, to compose this thing. I didn't even know how big it was going to be when I started, uh, where I was going to crop it, um, what to include, um, and it just sort of found its natural its natural size. Um, I would like to do uh, more of these kinds of maps um, after I no longer have a very uh, involved day job. And it would be fun to really, having done this, think about, okay, how how should one really organize this and and create it in um, uh, multiple files? Um, so 
that's it. And, and I went through a lot of uh, experimentation with color, um, again, inspired by Anderson. Um, took a number of editions to get it to where I really liked it. Um, but uh, I don't know if that, if that answers the question. That makes it sound a lot breezier than it was. Uh, <laughs> it was a hell of a lot of work. How did you, how did you get the facades? Your listeners can appreciate an axonometric map. Most people don't see walking around the city all the roof detail of buildings, but in, a, in an aerial view, uh, axonometric map, uh, that's a big part of it. And in the pre-Google uh, Earth days, uh, how on earth was I going to know what was up there and draw it accurately? Because obsessively, I did want it to be accurate. And it would look kind of dumb, actually, to have these uh, falsely blank rooftops with very uh, richly detailed facades. So the Inquirer, um, I had published the first edition with the paper. We, we published it in conjunction with a small guidebook and the map fit into a pocket in this guidebook. The guidebook was designed to, to accompany the map. And the Inquirer was very flush in those days. It was the, absolutely the heyday of them uh, raking it in Pulitzer Prizes almost every year. And so they thought nothing of assigning their best photographer to go up into a helicopter. And at my direction, I wasn't in the helicopter, uh, but I said, go up and down uh, each street and uh, photograph it uh, with as much resolution as you can so that you get every single building, obviously not individual pictures of buildings, but you know, like each block, uh, so that we can see, that I can see as reference, the south and the eastern facades of every building in a hundred square blocks, roughly. And so uh, the great Kyle Keener, uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful photographer, got into a helicopter. At, I think it, at the time, I remember him telling me the whole thing cost about $6,000, which in today's money is tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, and it's, it's, I'm really amused to think of him and the copter pilot buzzing the historic area of Philadelphia <laughs> up and down, up and down uh, on my behalf. But that's what they did. That was my reference. And then Kyle on the company, Nickel, spent God knows how many hours making these beautiful, beautiful prints. And he had a numbering system for them uh, to make sure he covered all of the area. So he really, I could not have done it without that aerial photography, at least not in any kind of way that I would find satisfying. So that, that was absolutely crucial. Uh, all of that exists at our fingertips now, mostly um, with Bing Maps and Google Maps. Um, although if you're trying to get, you know, depending on how often they update those images, um, in my last edition, I was just dying to get uh, for them to update their aerials that included a building that was done, but not on their maps. And I, you know, how was I going to see what that was? There was no vantage where I could look over the, the thing and take my own pictures. That was pre-drone. Now I guess I could do that. I could do that. 
So what was that conversation with the editor? Did you say, I'm working on this enormous map. Can we commission a DIY photogrammetric survey of all of Philadelphia? Luckily, it wasn't the whole city. It was a pretty limited area, but still it was, it was ambitious. And it speaks to how flush newspapers were in those days, particularly, you know, the Inquirer was one of the top papers in the country in those days. Um, it was also incredibly news focused. So getting a photographer up in a helicopter was actually quite routine. It just, this was not the routine purpose for most of them. But I had shown some editors, including Gene Roberts, who was the, the legendary uh, executive editor of the paper, um, the Anderson map and said, what would you think of a, uh, if, if, if I did a map like this of Philadelphia? Well, they were all into it because uh, in the case of one editor, he was pursuing lots of, um, uh, publication opportunities outside of the paper to make more revenue for the paper. So they were publishing books and things. Um, in the case of Gene Roberts, he said, uh, as he would, oh, we could use these maps in the paper as reference. And that is not exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> I didn't envision it being chopped up and put in, into news stories. Um, but uh, nonetheless, they gave it the green light and uh, money in those days was almost no object, so it seemed. As I am in the twilight of my career, I have to just be grateful continuously for the fact that I dropped into it at just the right moment, when it was embryonic, when we could invent things ourselves, and where we had not, not a blank check and not free reign, far from it, but learned at the feet of these fantastic journalists and great uh, photo editors, great uh, other our fellow artists, um, the expertise, the intensity and the, the concentration of expertise was just remarkable. And it, it, it always is in newsrooms. It is today at the New York Times. Um, the Inquirer then was really, really something. And the fact that they, it had the resources and the interest to do something like this so esoteric. Um, it was just another way for the paper to have a leg up on everyone else. Had you started illustrating the map at this point when you brought the Anderson map to the editor? Probably because I was that obsessed with uh, creating my own version. And of course I had my own Mac at home and and had Illustrator, and I was going to do this whether they were interested or not. Um, but their interest really did speed it along. It gave me the impetus to, to get it done. Um, and as I say, they contributed to it in a way that left me, I really, like I could not have shelled out six grand for somebody to do that. And how would I find such a person to do that? And would he have done as good a job as Kyle Keener? No, no, no. So being at the, the paper was really crucial to this being done. The first edition came out in 1993. Um, and um, I, you will not see it. Uh, whatever copies are out there, I hope they uh, have been recycled. Um, 
it's an embarrassment to me and I, it was sort of a dry run and you know I've really fine-tuned it a lot since then um, but at the time it was you know it was something that was a bit of a personal achievement so what was the elapsed time from uh, showing the editor the map getting the okay and then holding the guidebook with your map in it it, it may have been as long as three or four years um, certainly was that long from the time I started working on it, which was probably not long after I arrived in the city and really grew to love it. Uh, I think now that I'm recalling it, I must have had some portion of it, some sample of it done to show them um, that it wasn't just the Anderson map, but hey, look, here's, here's part of Philadelphia. Um, and I could do a big chunk of the historic area in this form. And wouldn't that be a cool Inquirer map to sell? And they did, they advertised it in the paper. They had what we call um, house ads, which if you have a space to fill that there isn't news, it's uh, set aside for advertising and either there's a little left over, they didn't purchase, some advertiser didn't purchase the space, whatever, throw in a house ad that just touts the paper, touts a columnist. And for a year or so, they had them uh, advertising my map. So there was a lot of free promotion <laughs> involved in it as well. But of course, the paper, the paper, um, you know, profited. I was quite happy for that because, you know, I got to, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, I got to, to do something that I just wanted to see myself. I was savvy enough to make sure that whatever deal I inked with them, I retained the ownership of the copyright. So when I decided that uh, I wanted to change it, edit it, whatever, publish it again on my own nickel, um, I could whenever I wanted. Quickly add that it did not make me fabulously rich. It didn't make me modestly rich. It probably cost me more, especially when you factor in the labor, which I never did, um, than it will ever make. Um, so it was, this is not a get rich quick scheme by any means. Um, and certainly not a way to earn a living. Uh, one of these maps, the day jobs have been very, very crucial <laughs> by staying afloat. So you would, after close, you would go home and work on this? Sadly, yes. Uh, other people were out, uh, drinking, um, and enjoying life. I did enjoy life a lot and I traveled a lot actually. And that's where I found many, many other specimens of these kinds of maps. So, um, I, I, I had a lot of, uh, of stamina in those days and, uh, to, to sit in the stare at the computer for hours and hours and hours after doing it, um, at work as well. But in those days, still at the Inquirer, there was this, there, that was very early um, in graphic production, in newspaper production. So when I got it to the Inquirer, it was the same kind of uh, waxed paper, exacto knife wielding process that um, I had at the press and that persisted for a few more years. So you know, now I, all of our jobs are, uh, for the most part, are just tethered to staring at the screen. Um, 
in those days, it, we actually, it wasn't that bad. Um, there were, the, the screens were of totally different nature and um, there was a lot of production that didn't involve computers yet. Mm, you're still touching real things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Still have uh, salty uh, composing room guys, uh, you know, busting your chops and and telling funny stories and uh, puffing away in your face. Uh, <laughs> some things we don't miss about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that then I would go home and I would just be hunched over my primitive little Macintosh, building this silly map. Okay, so 93, 94, map comes out uh, along with this guide. And then you looked at it and thought, time to keep chewing away at it? I was never artistically satisfied with it. Um, I didn't like it. It was much harder to anticipate uh, how colors on the screen uh, would translate to a very high-end printing. Uh, you know, I, my only experience up until that point was newspapers, which is very low quality printing, especially in those days, especially at the Enquirer, which was all black and white. There was no color in the Philadelphia Enquirer. It was the last major paper to convert to color in the, I want to say that was also 93. And uh, the Times beat us by one year. And the Times was famous for being black and white at it was nicknamed the Grey Lady. Um, so I did not understand color print processes very much at all. And so um, not long after that, I, I reworked it pretty extensively. I got the colors a lot closer to what I wanted. Um, but through several more additions, um, I refined it further improve the typography um just i don't know if you've experienced this um i think a lot of graphic artists um never know full satisfaction with their work um particularly complex things you look at it coming off the press and it should be a moment of incredible pride and, and it can be but flaws that no one else would uh notice or even imagine just leap off the page at you <laughs> so so i've been nursing this thing for a long long time and i already know things i want to fix and change and improve for the next edition but i also want to reinvent this form a little bit with some other city if i have the wherewithal to do that do you have a city in mind? Well, there are about a half dozen in North America that lend themselves to this treatment. Um, sure, I've given it a lot of thought. Um, uh, Boston is a would probably be my foremost candidate. There, uh, there have been some maps of this sort done up there, but in a much more in a much looser fashion that is not my style. Um, of course, European cities are also uh well suited to this and and what makes them well suited well uh in the case of boston and philadelphia you have a mostly low-rise city punctuated by little uh not so little in 
um, clumps of high-rises. If it's all high-rises, you kind of have uh, something that's sort of a drawing, but not really useful as a navigation tool because they just obscure too much information. And in fact, I have a, an inset in my map that depicts the, the, the most office and skyscraper intensive part of the city. And they're all just overlapping one another, even with the wider exaggerated streets. Uh, but Boston and Philadelphia are very similar to that. And they, they have these large historic interesting areas that where a very, very detailed depiction of them is actually useful to somebody in theory who's walking around the city because, oh, that's how I find this little alley or that's where that little historic home that I want to tour is tucked in. Um, that a standard map is just not going to be as uh, immediate in, in helping you find. Um, I, I think some version of these kinds of maps, a more sophisticated version, would be great wayfinding tools on signs in cities. Um, as a, just a way of giving people the lay of the land. Of course they can use their phones, and we all do. I do too. Uh, but um, there is something really useful about seeing the whole thing in one sweep. You know, your surroundings and and, um, you know, a square mile or so of in great detail all at once that you can scan and you can read um, at your own pace. Yes, that synoptic view. That's something you never get with the phone. Never. You know, I just, uh, unrelated to maps, but, but uh, directly, but um, one of my... Uh, inquirer colleagues who is now at the Times and who is very high uh, up in the food chain because he's a very smart thinker, Matt Erickson. Um, uh, one thing he said to me probably oh, 15, 20 years ago, eh, about 15 years ago, um, when we were first grappling with how to get our precious newspaper graphics onto phones, and how dispiriting that was. And he said, how big do you think this phone screen is? And, uh, um, you know, I started to, I hadn't really measured it. I wonder how many, you know, inches and fractions of an inch it is. It wasn't what he was getting at. He grabbed a business card out of his wallet and put it on the phone. And it was exactly the same size as the screen. And if you had told me when I started out in this business, you know, one day you're going to be forced to compress everything that you love about a graphic or a map onto the, onto the size of a business card, it would have sounded preposterous. And yet that's what we do now every day. Uh, most of our readers at the Times are getting the, the publication via the phone. And... So to get back to your uh, question, it's just no fun when it comes to maps. It is no fun. There are, there are some things about, um, you know, GPS and, and, and knowing where you are live that are incredibly useful. And I do it all the time. But um, as, a, as a user experience, as the phrase goes, it's just not that satisfying. Oh, yeah. Like... Uh, 
after the magazine published at Business Week, where I was a graphics editor from 2010 to 2014, there would come Web Day, where you'd take your beautiful double truck <laughs> graphics and scrunch and scrunch them down and bleach all the, the fun of a map off of it to make it fit the business card. <laughs> we dreaded it. And now you have to do that first. Your first consideration is how does it look on a three and a half inch by two and a half inch screen? Absolutely. And I, I won't, I'm, I'm don't think I'm divulging any industrial secrets here to say that um, the editors uh, of the graphics department, which is a very big department and has a, lo a lot of uh, immensely talented and wonderful people, um, but they wisely recognize that we're conditioned to think big first and then shrink later. And so they just put us in March of 2023 through something that uh, was dubbed Mobile Month, where we forced ourselves to think mobile first. Um, and it really is uh, smart because, first of all, that's the reality of most of our readership. And number two, if you as you yourself know, um, shoehorning things onto that business card, not fun and, and actually pretty inefficient too. And you've got to design for the format that you're going to be presenting to people. And um, it was very instructive to, to think mobile first. So yes, we've just had mobile month. And uh, uh, the joke is that um, now they tell us, Every month is mobile month. And of course, that's true. Have you retained the same printer for every run since 93? No, um, that's been a bit of a, a challenge. Um, I, do, I love the printer that I did the most recent version from, and I will be sticking with them. Um, one time, um, I had a very few people to ask who've done similar projects. So I thought I had found a good printer and uh, pretty close to where I live, um, which is no longer a consideration <laughs> after this experience. And I should have known, I'd signed up for them and then I and sent them all the files and I showed up at the press for the first run. And uh, I noticed that most of the things that they had, this is really embarrassing, most of the things that were piled up, newly printed were things like restaurant flyers and junk mail. And I thought, oh no, this is not, I should have done my homework better. Um, and in fact, um, there was something about the, the initial run that um, they had screwed up, which allowed me to back out gracefully. They had a setting on their, what, what is the device? Um, whatever their output device was to make the plates. Because of the nature of most of the printing they did, if that uh, output device encountered any uh, lines, any line work that was finer than uh, three tenths of a point, it would increase it to three tenths of a point. Well, um, it's anal and picky to say, but line weights are just crucial to making this thing and, and var variations of them, a menu of them, uh, using different line weights, in some cases 
uh, finer than 0.3, uh, was crucial to getting the look that I wanted. And they just blitzed that with their little, it might have even been more than that, like 0.4 or 0.5. <laughs> So we really, what came off the presses, and by the way, when it came off the press, I didn't know that it took them a while to fess up to this. Um, I didn't know what had happened. I thought, how is this even possible? So um, anyway, I uh, uh, took it elsewhere after more thorough research, found this firm outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, called the Standard Group. Uh, a little bit of promotion for them. They're great. They did a wonderful, wonderful job for me. And uh, best of anything I did in my, whatever, 30 years of mishandling this map. Um, I mean, the problem is, unlike, you know, newspaper graphics, we have big, fancy uh, photocopy machines and proofers that are specially designed to print out on newsprint and simulate as as closely as possible, and it's pretty close, what newspaper ink is going to look like and what our graphics are going to look like on newsprint. I don't have the ability to proof this in any way that's, that's meaningful for a really, really high quality press, uh, particularly the color. So the proofs are <laughs> was rolling off the, uh, rolling off the presses. Have you ever had an editorial graphics project that was as involved as this? No, there isn't, there isn't room for that sort of thing, especially by one person. A lot of our graphics are, almost all of the major graphics are collaborations now with whole groups of people because it requires so many different kinds of expertise. Um, so there's, you know, engineering as well as design and writing and editing and, and, uh, so, no, this thing is, you know, uh, it's embarrassing to say, but it's 30 years running now. And, but even just a single edition, no, newspapers just don't have that kind of, they have, they have time and patience for some things um, and some investigations that were done at the Enquirer and, and, and that are done at the Times we're in the in the year or year plus range but um no this is a this is certainly an outlier in <laughs> in the things that i've done over the years in terms of how much time it's soaked up and looking at the map did you have a copy editor or an editor to check this or is it just your eyes the whole time it's mostly my eyes but um there is some copy in it and I always leaned on some of my favorite editors uh, at the Times and at the Enquirer and asked them to read it for me. Um, of course, they were paid lavishly for this. Um, not really. They did it as a favor. But, but I knew um, just as I learned the hard way that I don't ever want to be the last set of eyes on things that I'm putting into a newspaper because we can't easily spot our own mistakes. Um, it's one of the things that I'm so grateful for in my newspaper career. Very, very smart, thorough, eagle-eyed editors who find our mistakes. And 
that's what I wanted. I'm not a grammarian. I wanted somebody, you know, that I, uh, that I knew was to read my copy and make sure it was good and, and it wasn't going to embarrass me. So, um, so I did have people look it over. Nobody fact-checked it for accuracy because I was obsessive about that and I knew I didn't have to worry about putting the wrong label on the wrong building. What was that process like, giving it the, the once-over? Did you divide it into a grid and check each square? Or go but layer by layer? Well, it's sort of being checked along the way because it takes so long to draw. Um, you're really concentrating, in some cases, on buildings for, for days. Some of the more elaborate buildings I've spent several days doing. And so, um, and, you know, my home is within the scope of this map, <clears throat> excuse me, so it's my neighborhood. And I know it quite well, and I've lived in this neighborhood for 30 plus years. So um, the fact checking of this particular thing actually comes pretty naturally in the process of just building it. Um, and when I see another crane going up in the city uh, that's in the area of the map, I think, oh, God, you know, there's another another block that's going to be uh, out of date very, very soon. And so I, I know the turf pretty intimately. One must consider Sisyphus happy. Who did the translations? Free Google Translate. So I've had found various um, translation services over the years. That was another weird thing I wanted to do just to make it stand out. You know, nobody, nobody, did. but it was very common to see multilingual maps in, in Europe. Um, but not here. And uh, so I found a firm that just happened to be in Grand Rapids, my hometown. And they're very, very nice and very, very patient. And they kind of got the map and they were happy to be a part of it. It was a bit of a typesetting graphical problem um, because I didn't have uh, kanji and Cyrillic characters in my Mac at the time, and I didn't dare, like, have a font problem translate into, you know, different words that I couldn't begin to understand. So I had them give me outlines of, they, in effect, typeset it, the, the non-Roman alphabets. And um, I had them give those to me as, as outlines that I could use in Illustrator and scale up and down. And I gave them specs, you know, for sizes, so they didn't have to scale very much, if at all. But um, yeah, and then that's a process that may, may be a little more automated now. Um, I haven't played with the Translate programs, Google and others. And I actually, I don't have the expertise to know if I'm looking at an accurate translation. So that is something, I mean, imagine the embarrassing it would be to have, I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Looking at a uh, English on a map or a graphic or in a book that is translated from the, the local language and in a ham-fisted way, it really, uh, it doesn't land very well. So I'm very happy to, that's a, that's a bit of expertise that I'm very happy to 
to uh, hire out. I see. So you gave it to Grand Rapids. They returned you straight vectors. Yes. Language is international and um, uh, in Grand Rapids. And I'd like to look them up. I hope they are still thriving in the era of Google Translate. I worry about businesses like that. They are probably, hopefully nimble. I'm sure they are. They were smart and nice people. And they've, you know, the need for more sophisticated translation is probably still there. Uh, maybe more than ever, I hope. Whether it's for commerce or culture. Um, but, but I do wonder now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look them up. Yeah, I hope they're still around. Yeah, that was only, you know, that was five years ago. Did you do the edges and nodes transit map first or last or like midway through the process because looking at it i'm like wow this map has four different good map styles well i'll try to tell this story quickly and in a non-boring way so uh the first four or so editions of the map um were uh i think 32 inches wide by 22 inches deep um I needed to, I wanted to expand just a little bit the area I covered. And the only way I could figure out how to do that was to add four inches, another fold uh, of width to the map. So it literally is three feet wide now, the sheet. And um, one of the things I wanted to do was draw the area around City Hall, uh, which is the geographic center of, of, of our city, uh, in a much wider area uh, with more landmarks. I had shoehorned it into this corner of the map that um, is over the Delaware River, big expanse of the, the, the waterfront down there. And suddenly that moved to a different part of the map. So I had this blank space and I was thinking, what am I going to put here? And I thought, oh, well, I, you know, actually I could probably do our transit system there because it is quite a complex system. It's pretty mysterious to out-of-towners. Uh, like a lot of people, I'm sure you know, you yourself and others are kind of fascinated by transit maps. They're real uh, uh, puzzles and um, all sorts of approaches to do them. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try my own version of this. And so that's how that came to be. It was just a space that needed to be filled. But it's an obvious thing to include on a map for visitors of a big city, especially with one that has about four different rail systems overlapping and intermeshed and uh, mysterious ways of naming the lines and is this the subway system or is this the, the, the regional rail system and how does it hook up with the ones in New Jersey and Delaware and so on and so forth. So, um, and it won't surprise you to know that there are a few things about that stylistically that I want to tweak. <laughs> so that's why this map will get reprinted, not because of any kind of public demand. It's because I, I want to make it look better for my own personal uh, emotional reasons. I love maps that are just like one guy going for it, because you can tell. <laughs> well, um, that's that's a succinct way of putting it. Um, and uh, that's what I did for better or for worse. I, I want to um, make a, a very um, appreciative, heartfelt nod to our mutual friend, Larry Buchanan, who was one of the best artists I know. 
and uh, smartest thinkers I know, and who is the reason that you and I are talking today. Um, that he is a, he's a mutual friend. Oh, he's the best. And he teaches. He's put maybe 300 bored 19-year-olds through his QGIS cartography class at SVA. And I was so impressed with that because uh, I learned map making by apprenticeship. I sat next to a guy for 18 months in Madison, Wisconsin, at the university there. And uh, I only learned by being at his elbow and asking, how do I do that? How do I do that? Until I got the hang of it. And I thought, man, how does, how does anyone learn to make maps these days who's not a 10-star autodidact? And Larry is out there. To getting graphic design students to you know get out their pencils and get out their vectors and make maps and he's uh actually teaching at columbia uh this year to the data science master's students the same thing so he's he's spreading it around i love it and he must be such a good teacher i mean knowing him from you know sitting nearby in the newsroom i mean he you, you couldn't have a better better teacher. If anyone's listening who wants to um, take a course, if if you're eligible at any point, sign up for Professor Buchanan. You won't regret it. Absolutely. And before I let you go, uh, could you name or think of any cartographers living or dead that people should check out? I know we talked about Anderson and Bowman and Ishihara. Was there anyone uh, working today or in the past that we should look up? Mm. Uh, I can't summon the guy's name, but the man who is in charge of, as you know, I like roadmaps, the, the official state of Michigan highway map, um, uh, for many years, close readers of that map could see, wait a minute, those are not real towns. They're across the border in Ohio. One in very tiny type called Go Blue and another one called Beat OSU. But um, that man on the official state of Michigan highway map put a couple of bogus towns to tweak uh, Ohio football fans. <laughs> so my hat's off to that man. Um, and uh, that's probably a story people could look up and find out who he is. Um, I, you've, you've surfaced a part of my knowledge that is lacking and, 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 it's good, and, and you've inspired me to kind of, you know, make my own list of people I admire. There is so much out there to admire now. Um, I, for example, I love some of these uh, Twitter feeds of transit map design where people just obsessively make their own versions of official maps that are in some ways lacking in design. Uh, uh, and so that's the kind of stuff I just love. And I would love to get more acquainted with those people, get literally acquainted with those people. Uh, and, and I'll quickly add, if you come down from your leafy perch up there in the Hudson Valley, if you're ever in Philadelphia, you must look me up. Um, I'll show you around town. Absolutely. We're going to find out which restaurants are closed. I'm going to hold <laughs> the 2019 edition with my heavy black marker. And yeah, it's <laughs> It'll be a sad walking tour. <laughs> It'll be fun too. That part of it. The rest of it's really good. It's a very, very fascinating city we have here. 
So, yeah, I don't know if you know it or not. No, but, um, I'd love to get it. And with a guy who knows literally every facade, and he can even count the HVAC units on the top of his favorite skyscrapers. How how fun will that be? <laughs> uh, You're talking to the guy what, with the map podcast. I love that stuff. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, what would really make it fun and what won't take too much effort is Coax Larry down here with us. So, uh, because he is in town from time to time. He has family in the area, so... Um, We'll make it happen. But Evan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And I'll send you uh, one of my favorite transit mappers, this guy in Paris who does enormous multimodal uh, maps as part of his uh, architecture consultancy. Uh, His last name's C-E-R-O-V-I-C. His first name's Jug. That's how it's spelled. I'm pretty sure it's not pronounced that way, but I'll uh, send you the link. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, please do. And wow, this has been so illuminating. Thank you so much, Bill. And uh, hope we'll talk soon. You have a wonderful day and an easy de- an easy deadline. Thank you very much, Evan. And uh, please stay in touch. You can buy Bill's incredible map for only seven bucks by going to store.philamuseum.org. P-H-I-L-A, and searching for Philadelphia Pictorial Map and Walking Guide. For show notes and bonus content, visit veryexpensivemaps.com. This episode is brought to you by The Map Consultancy, supplier of professional, data-driven maps for your decks, reports, walls, and events. Visit themapconsultancy.com to see what good maps can do for you. I'm Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and you should make your own maps. No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.